multiple streams of income is essential. Cash flow creates options. When you have more cash flow, that creates freedom. The worst thing you could do is be stuck with one stream of income, working a job or working your business or whatever it might look like. That's the worst thing you could do. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Chris Miles, how you doing, Chris? Doing awesome, Joe. How you doing? Well, I'm doing well and I'm glad you're doing awesome. Looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Chris. He's the founder of Money Ripples. He's the author and host of the Chris Miles Money Show and he helps his clients increase their cash flow, has done so by a tune of over $200 million in the last 10 years, based near Salt Lake City, Utah. And we're going to focus our conversation. First off, best ever listeners, I hope you're having the best ever weekend. Because today is Sunday, we have a special segment like we usually do on Sundays, and it is Skill Set Sunday. And because of that, we're focusing our conversation with Chris on how to think differently about your financial plan. And as he calls it prior to us having this recorded conversation, he would mention to me, he calls it the anti-financial plan. So we're going to talk about his thought process 
and how to go against the grain and why he believes in that and what practical next steps we can take to act on it should we embrace it as well. So first, Chris, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and then we'll dive right into it? You bet. I started out in the business world. I was going to college. I was intending to become a business consultant, but I figured if I was going to do that, I should have real life experience. So I actually dropped out of college with one class to go for my bachelor's and I went into business. And the first business that became available was becoming a financial advisor, right? Little did I know at the time, I didn't know that they would hire just about anybody. As long as you can pass a test and get a license, they'll take anybody on, experience or not. So I actually started doing that and I actually enjoyed it. I started doing that back in the early 2000s. So right after 9-11 is when I became a financial advisor and did that for four years. But as time went on, I'm one of those people, I like to see evidence. I like to see that things work. And I don't like to be out of integrity with anything. So I want to make sure I'm teaching truth and I'm doing things that are legit. And as time went on, especially as I inherited old clients from advisors that had quit or moved on or whatever, I started to realize that people weren't that well off financially. Not the way I had envisioned and I've been sold from everybody, right? Because if you look at all the financial advice that's being taught to you out there, it all stems from financial institutions, right? Banks, mutual fund companies, everything else, everything, even the Susie Ormans, the Dave Ramsey's of the world, they're just little pawns in that little game of teaching you what they want you to do, which is save everything, spend nothing, save it forever, save it in crappy mutual funds. Then in the last 30 years, the real rate of return of the S&P has only been 7.5%. And when you factor in fees and everything else coming out, you're likely to get 6 or 6.5%, not 10 or 12 like I was teaching. So when I started to run real numbers as a financial advisor, I started to try to run what if it's like 6% or 7% instead? And what if inflation actually isn't 2 or 3% like the government's trying to tell us it is? What if it's actually more like 4 or 5 or more, right? And then it got really depressing. And I realized I couldn't tell anybody and give them any hope because I'm like, well, even saving 10 or 20% of your income isn't enough. And in fact, in most cases, you want to have a 20-year retirement plan, for example, and you want to be able to live on a $60,000 a year lifestyle today, but do that in 20 years, you got to actually save up about $8,000 a month to live on 60000 a year, on 5000 a month in 20 years. It's freaking ridiculous. So in 2006, I started to meet guys who were real estate investors and business owners, guys that had become multimillionaires and even retired by the time they're in their 20s and 30s. And I was like, I want that. <laughs> so March of 06, I quit being a financial advisor, vowed never to go back again. I was like, I'll never teach about money again. I'm just going to be a mortgage broker and I'll teach ballroom dancing. Because little known fact, I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers back in the early 2000s. That was my goal. But I started learning these things about creating real cash flow acceleration, not accumulation. And I was actually able to become financially independent the first time when I was 28 back in 2006. And how did you define financial independence at 28? Kind of the same way that Robert Kiyosaki would. Basically, your passive or residual investments and income is able to cover your expenses. What Um, were your expenses at the time? Oh, at that time, I only had two kids. So I have eight now with blended family. (laughs) So only with two kids, it was only like 4,000 a month. So it wasn't that much. On that 4K expenses at the time when you're 28, so you Mm -hmm. had $4,001 at least coming in on on a monthly basis. Where was that money coming from? I had real estate. So rental real estate, things like that. What'd you have specifically? Just single family homes. Okay. How many did you have? Two. (laughs) Okay. Two homes. What else do you have? And then I had residual income through business with affiliate and referral type stuff. Not like the affiliate you see today, but it was like very organic. For example, and this is something that actually one of those millionaire guys turned me on to. He said, with the mortgages, right? I was doing mortgages actively. And he said, 
well, Chris, like if money were no issue, would you keep doing mortgages? I said, well, no. <laughs> now I like teaching about it and I like kind of helping them figure out the strategy, but I hate the paperwork, right? Mm-hmm. So he said, well, why don't you refer it to somebody who does like doing that? Oh, cool. And, it, and in my mind, I never thought that was possible because I was in that scarcity mentality before of just, you try to earn everything and don't farm out anything. Don't hire anybody. You take all the money you can, right? Basically a do it yourself or which is do it crap. <laughs> so I actually found a guy that actually was willing to do the paperwork said, Hey, what if we split it 50, 50? And he's like, great, let's do it. And I'd spend a half an hour, an hour with somebody. And the next thing I know there's about thousand or 1500 bucks come in from that one person I referred. And oh, uh, that's, that's a win-win for you and the business partner. Yeah. It really became a win-win-win. Because even for the client, I referred them, I would tell them what to do with their mortgage so they could put in other investments so that those investments could then pay for their mortgage payment, right? This, of course, with real estate hard money and things like that. And when we're doing that, people say, cool, where would I get the mortgage? I'm like, go talk to this guy. And that was it. It was served up on a silver platter for him. So he loved it. They loved it because they got serviced really well by him because he was a good guy, full of integrity, did always what was best, which I really appreciated too. Mm-hmm. And it was great. It was one of those things I never fathomed could work. And again, I didn't even have an official business. Remember, I quit being a financial advisor. I vowed never to talk about money. The problem was there were still people asking me some questions because they noticed that my life was changing from a financial standpoint as well. And I was just different. I wasn't the same person. So when you were 28, you had the residual income from referrals with your clients that you sent to the person you're working with to actually fulfill the mortgages. On the single family home, you had two of those. I don't imagine those are spitting off a whole lot of income. How much per house were they? It's generating? only about a thousand total. That's still pretty good for a single family house, $500 a month. Right. House. Okay. And were any other income sources at the age of 28? That was it. Two? I'm trying to remember if I had a hard money loan or not. I might've had something there, but no, I mean, it was mostly just real estate and then just those random referrals I'd send along. But when it was like one referral a month, adding up to a couple thousand bucks a month, just there too. And so- but, yeah, but I was making four or 5,000 a month total between the two. Wow. So you were making 3,000 plus per month yeah. on just the referrals. Wow. Okay. All right. So that was 28. I know that's not yesterday. So then what happened? Then of course, like I started partnering up with some guys that were also kind of out of the rat race themselves, right? They kind of said, Hey, we want to start a company, teach people how to get out of the rat race. This is the end of 2006. And I was kind of at that point, I was spending the last six months trying to find purpose, right? Because- mm-hmm. Most people don't realize when you actually get to the point where you're financially independent, you start to ask yourself, well, now what? I got there. What's the next thing for me? And I almost opened up some dance studios and stuff, but something didn't feel quite right. My gut was telling me, don't do that. And then I had some guys say, hey. Just so I'm making sure I'm tracking right. If your expenses were about 4000 you're bringing in about four to 5000 You didn't seem like you had much money to invest for dance studios or anything else. Or was there another chunk of money coming from somewhere else. When I got there, I was like, well, now what? Right. Cause I didn't know what to do at the time. I was also doing stock coaching ironically, which I'm like anti-stock market now, but okay. I was teaching about how to trade in the stock market at hard time. So I was making 6,000 a month doing that. Oh, there we go. There's, and, uh, there's so yeah, the that, that, that's where it became gravy. Right. Okay. So that helped boost up money I can invest and use during that period of time. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I always forget that detail. Maybe yeah, you I mean, probably I was, conveniently blocked it out because you don't like stock investing anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's a, I'm grateful for it because it gave me a lot of perspective, but it's definitely not something like, oh yeah, I'm going to totally do that again. Right. You know? but I was doing that because I didn't know what to do next. So I just kept doing what I was doing before, but I was looking for something else. And that's when that opportunity came up and they said, hey, why don't you work with us? Leave your house, work with us in an actual office again. 
was like, oh, I got to work in an office. This sucks. All right. I see the mission. I see the vision. It sounds awesome. I love teaching. That's I feel like is my calling overall is to teach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did that. And uh, funny enough, we were actually focused on people that were real estate investors, helping them get out of the rat race. Well, 2007, especially when you hit about July, August, when everything starts tightening up in 07, that's when crap was hitting the fan. At the same time, those partners said, hey, Chris, we don't like you making all these other residual streams of income. Can you focus just on this? Which was number one biggest mistake I could have made at that time. Because I should have said, to heck with you guys. I'm going to keep (laughs) making my passive and residual income regardless. But I didn't. And so I cut those off. So now it's down to mostly just an active stream of income and some real estate. And of course, my real estate, because I wasn't buying for cash flow as much. I was just, hopefully there's more appreciation. I was cashing out all the equity I could. Well, now I'm upside down on some properties. Luckily I was able to get out from under them, but still it was painful, right? And then at the same time, all those real estate investors couldn't pay us either. So the active streams of income weren't working because their money was locked up. My money was locked up and I wasn't tracking my money either. That was a big thing because there's so much money coming in. It's like, why track it? Why even pay attention? I have abundance of money coming in. Mm-hmm. Well, now when I finally decided to look at my money, I realized I was in the hole $16,000 a month between my business and my personal expenses. So I went from out of the rat race to now deeply back in it and in the hole and eventually ended up being over a million dollars in debt by 2008. So I had to dig out of that. I didn't file for bankruptcy, but I had to claw my way back out without any savings or any credit. What was Um, the largest chunk of that million? Real estate. Mortgages on real estate was a big one. So getting upside down from that, having to sell those off short sell or even foreclose on some of those, which was tough. So you had a million dollars worth of loans or the loans that you're referring to within that million were upside down? Loans, total in loans. I would say because total there, assets I was able to sell off was maybe like half a million. So I was still upside down about half a million or so. Okay. Got it. Cause you could have a billion dollars worth of loans, but if it's worth 10 billion, then all good. But okay, so you were upside down by about half a million dollars on that. Yeah. So I had to like turn in cars. Like I turned in my Mercedes. I was like, hey, you're going to take it from me anyways. And they auctioned it off for 30000 less than what I owed and had to pay that back and everything else. I still had like another, about roughly about half a million of debt after everything was sold off. I had no assets left. Okay. And then I had to figure out how to dig out of that hole, which- what, what was the conversation like with your significant other? <laughs> oh man, it sucked. It was hard for her. And this was my ex-wife, my wife at that time. It was really tough because she felt helpless. She wasn't working. She was at home with the kids. We had, at that time, four young children. So she was trying to take care of them while at the same time, I'm trying to figure this out. So she felt helpless. There was even times she said things like, man, should I just take the kids and move in with my sister and you can figure your stuff out? And I'm like, that's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> I'm already struggling mentally, feeling like I was basically out of integrity. I couldn't, yep. I couldn't no longer teach people how to get out of the rat race because I was now in it. So mm-hmm. I stopped that. I had to start teaching people how to get resourceful like I was being, right? Which is what people wanted anyways, because most people didn't feel like they had any money during the recession. What tips would you give someone when speaking to their significant other if they're in a similar situation? Definitely with a lot more empathy than I had because my ego was so butthurt, you know? Yep. <laughs> I was being defensive, which any guy naturally would do that. That's a knee-jerk reaction, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of the natural thing is that our egos want to feel like we can protect and provide for our families. But if I would have had more empathy to say, hey, I know you feel helpless here. You feel like there's nothing you can do. Honestly, the best thing you can do is just be there for me. And I know it's hard to support me. You're probably losing faith, but that's the best thing you can do. And just trust in me. 
And that's all I wanted to hear too. I wanted to hear that was just say, you trust to me that we'll figure this out. It doesn't matter if we lose everything. We still have each other, that kind of thing. Right. And I had to take over the collection calls. Like I couldn't let her handle the finances anymore because it was too hard on her. Plus she felt she couldn't give them a good answer of when they get paid back. Cool thing is when I started talking to them, I started to change my perspective around it. This is when things started to turn around is when I stopped looking at it as a bad thing that collectors were calling. And instead I started calling them, I love you calls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you know, during that time, there's friends that were like, all of a sudden they scattered when they knew I was going through hard times. They yeah. weren't there. Yeah. I mean, there's a few that stuck it out that were true friends, but for the most part, everybody scattered when they realized I was in dire straits. But those collectors- no, how, how did they know that you're in dire straits, your friends? Oh, especially if they're friends, I would tell them, or they just knew because, for example, our house was one of those that foreclosed, right? Mm-hmm. I was able to sell off the invest properties and basically just walk away with a little bit in the hole, but I had to foreclose my own house, which sucked, partly because it's through Lehman Brothers. <laughs> so yeah. we, had, we had short sale offers, they wouldn't accept them, so they ended up foreclosing for 170000 less than the short sale offers. So we had to move out of a big McMansion, so to speak, right? Move into a house that was less than half the size and a quarter of the payment. So they saw these lifestyle changes happening. I mean, I'm driving old cars versus a nice Mercedes. It was pretty obvious from the outside to see that I was selling things off quickly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So from the outside, those people knew it. And then, of course, the friends or family, such in-laws, for example, are saying, oh, we knew you shouldn't have gone in business. You should go back to school and get that bachelor's because yeah. that's the answer. I'm like, I have a friend right now who's got a master's. He can't pay people for a job right now. He wanted to become an accountant. Accountants wouldn't hire him even for free because they're saying, well, we have enough business. We don't need you. So he was two years unemployed with an MBA. It was just ridiculous. So yeah, there's a lot of that going on. How was it an I love you call? It was I love you call because the collectors, they call up regardless. They're calling daily. (laughs) Friends weren't calling me daily. You know, I needed friends, but they were calling on a regular basis. So when they called, I would treat them like they're a buddy. I was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> uh, good. D- just so you know, this call may be recorded. We're here to collect a debt. Yeah, I know. Oh, great. Do you know when you're going to pay that debt? No. All right. Well, when will you pay us? No clue, but you'll get paid. Okay. Well, we're going to call you again. That's fine. Looking forward to it. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> that went on for a couple years. <laughs> oh, man. Until I paid those guys off one by one eventually. But that's what helped turn it around because instead of me being like, oh, send them the voicemail again. And the worst was like when I auctioned off the Mercedes, right? Well, I didn't, but the dealer did. And they were calling me to collect on that, the 30,000 bucks. And they would say things like, well, can you make payments of 1,200 bucks a month? I said, if I can make the $1,200 a month payment, I would have made the $1,000 a month payment on that Mercedes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember one guy, he just said, you know what? You're the reason that we're in such bad economic times right now. You're the reason why we're in this situation. I said, are you kidding me? I've spent $100,000 hiring people like you to have a job that now I can't hire anymore. But I'm like, I'm not the cause here. You jerk. I want to smack you. Uh So, I mean, that was the stuff I was struggling with while trying to teach people about money and trying to financially prosper and essentially try to prove that what I did the first time would work a second time. I struggle more with the mindset piece than I ever did with the strategy. Once I got over my ego and I just released all that expectation, just said, you know what? However long it takes, it's going to work. I know it. And I got to this place of not just hoping it would work to a place of knowing this. Mm-hmm. Once that happened, that's when things started to turn around. So what's your approach now? My approach now, man, passive income, multiple streams of income is essential. Cash flow creates options. When you have more cash flow, that creates freedom. The worst thing you could do is be stuck with one stream of income, working a job or working your business or whatever it might look like. 
that's the worst thing you could do. It's good. I'm grateful you have it and you should have it. But I will tell you from that experience, especially because I know everything ebb and flows, right? Eventually we'll have a recession at some point. There'll be changing times. There'll be hardships. Even if everybody's prospering, you might have your own personal recession because you might lose a job or lose some sort of income. What can you do to ensure that you have multiple streams of income coming in? And I'll tell you, financial advisors never talk about that. They're always like, throw your money away from you, lock it up in some place where you have to have, essentially get your hand slapped with a 10% penalty for touching it before you're 60. That's horrible advice. Everything should be focused towards how do I develop multiple streams of income, whether it be residual, passive, or both. What are some of the main streams of income that you have now? Now I actually go to more turnkey investments rather than trying to manage it myself like before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was one thing I learned. I like to do turnkey. I like notes, syndications, things of that nature. For the most part though, I'd say the bulk of my own personal assets, although I tell my clients to do what resonates with them most and what kind of feels right for them. I personally love owning real estate, whether it's multifamily, single family, whatever. I love owning and controlling it because if there's anything during the last recession I learned is that ownership and control is awesome. Syndications are cool too. And I like that. I like that there's some downside risk protection, then those things can work out too when you have funds and syndications. But I personally love owning and controlling real estate, but have somebody else manage it for me. So you turn keynotes, syndications, what is the most profitable within those streams? Like maybe a specific deal or a note that you invested in or a syndication that you're in? You know, the most profitable actually have been my own turnkey properties just because I'm taking all the depreciation for one. I'm taking the appreciation. I know I can do that with syndications too, of course, with certain ones, right? But definitely with cash flow and growth potential, I've definitely seen the best with doing a turnkey properties. Second would definitely be syndications. But give me an example. Sorry, you asked for example, turnkey property. And I had a Memphis property I bought a couple of years ago. I just had it reassessed to say, all right, let's see how the return on equity is right now, right? Bought it for 135000 and now is worth one fifty two. And I don't try to bank on appreciation. I learned that the hard way during right. the last recession, right? But it's nice when you get it. Compared to the down payment I put on it, the cash flow that's come in, like net cash flow, not gross, but the net after all costs are paid, plus the fact that the mortgage has been paid down, already the property's gained. Of the 32000 that came out of pocket with closing costs, I've already gained in the last two years about 26000 bucks. Refinance ideas out there or do you want to keep it with the current loan? That was with the current loan. I looked at refinancing just recently, but the rates weren't quite low enough to make it worthwhile. Okay. Buying them now is awesome just because the rates are even lower than they were when I got mine, which was around 5.25%, right? Now they're in the fours, which is awesome. Anything about the mindset of how you approach your finances now that you've learned some hard lessons and now you've got these multiple streams of income. Anything else that we haven't talked about that you think we should before we wrap up? Yeah, a few things. One is the one thing I wasn't doing is tracking my money. When you track money, don't track like a saver because savers are in scarcity and scarcity drives away money. Scarcity can never create financial freedom. You can't live in fear and be financially free regardless of what the numbers say. So you can't just focus on expenses like all the savers out there will teach you like the Dave Ramsey's. It's important to look at that, but look at the income too. Look at both sides of the equation. Look at, see, how can I increase income, but also be most efficient with my expenses and create that big gap between the two, which is what I refer to as cash flow or profit, right? 
while doing that, the biggest thing is that I see most people when I talk to them is because a lot of people say, Chris, I need the actual game plan or strategy to retire early, not to do the same old crap that everybody else is telling me to do with mutual funds and 401ks and whatnot, which by the way, I even did an episode on my show recently, a couple months ago that even a 401k with a match can still have the crap kicked out of it with notes, syndications, and turnkeys easily. Even with a match, which is supposed to be free money, a no brainer, you can still beat a 401k, especially when it comes to cash flow. So I look at things like saying, hey, let's look at the whole situation. Look at your own numbers. See, where do you have equity? Do you have equity in your own home, which a lot of people do? Should we cash out refinance and use that to invest? Especially if it's in something that's a good, legitimate place, you know? I actually have a client who has actually invested with you, Joe. And they're like, yeah, this is one of my favorite investments, what Joe Fairless has. I'm like, I gotta look that guy up. Yeah, there we go. But that kind of stuff, like can we liquidate assets? Can we sell off stuff that's not doing well? You might have some properties yourself that aren't return on equities low, Maybe we could sell that, make more money. I have a client in California right now down in San Diego. He had a property in California, which already when it's like, okay, you have property in California, that's not worth keeping, <laughs> you know, low cash flow and probably high equity, right? And which right. he had between his personal home, which had about 400,000 equity and this rental property had about 400,000 of equity after we sell it, even though he'll lose about 1500 a month of cash flow, that's 800 grand he can use that now, even if you did the 1% rule, hey, that's, $8,000 a month. So he still nets 6,500 bucks a month or just about 80 grand a year with the same assets he already had in place. I mean, that's what you want to look at. It's like, what do I have in savings or in, in equity in different places that could be used to be more productive than what it is right now? Yeah, I have a friend. He's local in Cincinnati and he moved from California and he had a single family house he sold it and he bought in Cincinnati, I want to say a 30 to 50 unit in Cincinnati. Yeah. And I think he paid all cash. Like it was just wow. it was incredible. And it's not in as nice of an area of Cincinnati and it was distressed. But point is he bought apartment community and that was a couple years ago, maybe three years ago. And he's uh-huh. now since I believe refinanced and got all that money out and is doing great with it. That's why I always tell people, don't buy into the whole accumulation mindset of saving and letting your money grow and compound slowly over the next billion years, which it won't do very well. But if you focus more on cash flow and acceleration and and utilizing assets to create the biggest bang for your buck, so you're not asset rich and cash poor. Because I'll tell you, I get so many people that are like Dave Ramsey poster children. People say, all right, I just paid off all my debt and now I have nothing to show for it. I'm now asset rich and cash flow poor. I was like, that's where we got to shift that around. You got to essentially reject some of the stuff that Dave Ramsey taught you. Not everything, budget stuff, great. But everything else that he taught you about wealth and creating retirement and cash flow, don't buy into it. It's stupid. <laughs> you know, you got to shift to a higher level. You got to shift to a higher gear. And that's when the possibilities in the world opens up. And if I can leave any message with you guys as a kind of a last minute message, I'll just say that there's probably bigger hope than you realize. You probably have a better chance of creating financial independence or financial freedom then you realize it's actually possible. You just got to be able to see it with the right set of eyes. Chris, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Check out my podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show. You can find it on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. And also you can check out my website, moneyripples.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com. Focusing on multiple streams of income, diversification of those streams of income, and then talking about and learning from your lessons that you learned during the hard times financially 
and some tips for should we come across that or perhaps when we come across it, if we haven't already, how to navigate that based on your experiences and what you learned. So thank you so much for being on the show. Grateful that you're on the show. Hope you have a best ever weekend. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's dwellynn.com forward slash show.